Hi, this is Dr. Mike Chupp, and you are listening to CMDA Matters, the weekly podcast of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations, where changing hearts in healthcare has been our God-given assignment for over 90 years. My guest this week is Dr. Daryl Bach from the Hendricks Center for Cultural Engagement at the Dallas Theological Seminary. He's joined me before on CMDA Matters and actually has accepted our invitation to be the Bible teacher at the upcoming CMDA National Convention, which takes place April 27th through the 30th at the Northern Kentucky Convention Center. That's just across the river from downtown Cincinnati. Dr. Bach has some helpful insights to share with us about the importance of listening as a critical skill in any cultural engagement, especially when clashing worldviews are involved. So without any further ado, let's jump right into our recent conversation. Well, today on CMDA Matters, I have a very special guest, uh, Dr. Daryl Bach. And uh, Dr. Bach is going to be one of our very special speakers at the upcoming National Convention there at the Northern Kentucky Convention Center, just across the river from beautiful downtown Cincinnati. And uh, Dr. Bach and I got to know each other about four or five years ago as we began thinking about a partnership between CMDA and Dallas Theological Seminary. And before we jump in and hear from Daryl, let me just give you a brief bio. Dr. Daryl Bach has got a master's in theology and a PhD. He's the executive director of cultural engagement, the Hendricks and senior research professor of New Testament studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. You're going to hear us say DTS from time to time. He received his bachelor's from the University of Texas his uh, master's in theology from his uh, home uh, seminary, Dallas Theological, and uh, his PhD is from the University of Aberdeen, which I believe is in Scotland. Is it not, Daryl? That's exactly right. Uh, he's, an, he's an international student because he went on to get his uh, postdoctoral study from Tübingen University in Germany. He's an elder emeritus at his home church, Trinity Fellowship Church in Dallas, and uh, eventually was uh, honored as Humboldt Scholar there at Tübingen in Germany. He's authored over 40 books, including uh, referenced, highly referenced commentaries on Luke and Acts and studies of the historical Jesus, and has been working on cultural engagement as the host of DTS's Table podcast. So uh, without any further ado, Dr. Bach, thank you for joining us today on CMDA Matters. Uh, it's great to be with you, Mike, and it's great to greet everyone at CMDA. Well, when I had uh, dinner with you a few years ago before we had our first combined uh, summit there, and I think our topic was conscience rights in healthcare or something like that with help from our theologians to think about it biblically, we had dinner together and you told me about a book, your highest volume selling book about breaking the Da Vinci Code. And I uh, had an opportunity to do a little more digging on that book, and I guess it got you on a late-night television program on Breaking the Da Vinci Code. Yeah, uh, I ended up being on Nightline with ABC for that and just the general work that I do in cultural engagement. That's where my uh, interest in in cultural engagement really started with that and with the work I was doing with historical Jesus stuff. I was doing some background consulting for – ABC on some of the specials that they put together when they needed to tap evangelicals, they would ask me, you know, who should we talk to? Here's the topic, that kind of thing. So 
take us, our listeners uh, and myself, how, the genesis of the Hendrick Center for Cultural Engagement. I don't know how many seminaries have. Do you know how many seminaries have a Center for Cultural Engagement? How did that happen? I don't know that there are many that do. Well, the core story is that when I was president of the Evangelical Theological Society, I gave an address that talked about the need for us to take our academics into the public square. And uh, that became a book called Purpose Driven Theology. And what I didn't know at the time was I actually was writing a job description uh, for <laughs> what happened at the at the center. The next part of that story is the day the iPod came out and I was wa- I would watch the Apple beginning of the year talk by Steve Jobs religiously each year just to see what was coming. And the day the iPod was announced, I was in Germany and I sent an email to our administration saying, this is a great way to stay in contact and serve our alumni. We ought to think about doing something regular with this. And the response was between myself and the president that we would get together and when topics came up, they kind of hit the Richter scale. We would address them in in a podcast and release them to our alumni. Mm. The next part of the story was about three, four years later at a global event, which was uh, hosted by Lasan in Cape Town, South Africa. My pre- the president and I happened to be at that event performing different roles at that event. And we met with our alumni, about 50 people from around the world. And when we asked them, what can we do to continue to serve you? They came in one voice, spontaneously, instantaneously, keep those podcasts coming. They really serve us and help us keep well, et cetera. So I walked out of that meeting and I said, you know, we do this. Ad hoc. It's when it's when the Richter scale gets high enough and our schedules will allow. Uh, I said, we really could be much more intentional about how we do that. And so that kind of went on the back burner. Uh, we talked about it. And then I got approached about changing schools and uh, was almost headed out to another school for another role. And in the midst of Dallas asking what would it take to stay, I said, well, I said, you've got this entity, the Hendricks Center for Christian Leadership over here. I think it needs uh, cultural engagement dimension. We need to organize the way the podcasts work, et cetera. And you don't know what to do with, with that thing over there. And I think I know how to make it relevant and connected back tighter to the seminary. And so they said, do it. And so I did. And so that's uh, it came about. But it's a natural extension to me of the way the church should be functioning. If we cannot take our theology and move it into the public square in a way that makes sense and connects with where people are living, then we have done our we haven't done ourselves a service in terms of how we grow disciples in the church. Well, Dr. Bach, from the beginning, uh, Dr. Al Weir, one of our former presidents who was chair of the board when I came to CMDA, uh, was working with you. It just seemed like a wonderful marriage, this partnership with Dallas Theological Seminary. And I don't know how many theologians wish they were doctors, but boy, there's a lot of us as doctors who wish <laughs> who wish we were fully trained theologians. So uh, I've learned a whole lot and have a whole lot more to learn. I got introduced to you by, you asked me to review a book that you're working on called Cultural Intelligence, Mm -hmm. uh, Living for God in a Diverse, Pluralistic World, and clearly healthcare professionals are at the tip of the spear culturally for some of the things that have been happening, our upside-down culture, it seems. And we talked about your book when you are on the podcast before, but I just wanted to revisit it because it seems like we keep coming back to 
the topic of these difficult conversations that we are having with patients, with our colleagues, with administrators, with legislators all over the country. And I, I just w- wanted to briefly talk about this chapter in the book about difficult conversations. Well, the, the hard part of a difficult conversation is, is that usually both people are coming in with an agenda. They have certain things that they want to accomplish, and they're trying to persuade someone who's thinking very differently about that space, about what they want to accomplish, and not necessarily, they're not actually in a conversation in some ways. Mm -hmm. They're interested in taking a position. So what this is designed to do is to change the goal of how, one, you can get there, and secondly, the dynamic that's necessary to get there. And that means really making an effort to understand where the other person is coming from and why, and then working hard on trying to see if there's a way to craft what could be a competing set of values into something that can work. I really do believe that the church is struggling deeply with understanding what it means to be part of a pluralistic society, to be one person with one chair at the table when that table is filled with other people at other chairs who think very differently than they do. And how do you do that? Well, how do you represent what you represent well on the one hand and how do you try to incorporate where other people are coming from on the other? And in some cases you can't, the clash is too great, but at least you can get to the point where you understand one another and walk and appreciate that. And that even that is an advance, even if you can't get, to agreement. So a lot of what that chapter is about is trying to say, what are the things that we do that destroy conversations? And what are the things that we can do to advance conversations? And probably the key point in this is the idea of, and this is particularly true when you're trying to persuade someone of a theology that runs counter to the way they think. And I'm thinking about people who are outside the church now, in many cases. And that is, you need to understand the difference between understanding where someone is coming from and assessing where they're coming from. And that the sequence in a conversation that makes a conversation work is making an effort to understand where the other person is actually coming from. So you can compare your whys and wherefores with their whys and wherefores and engage in a conversation about those things rather than just assuming them or assuming motive, et cetera. And you're also trying to enter into that conversation hopefully thinking about the best that the person offers rather than walking in uh, skeptical or ready for a battle. And you point out that demonstrating to the person in the conversation on the other side that you are truly understanding, authentically understanding what they're trying to communicate. That's right. And when you do that, that communicates a level of respect, which then opens the door for them to do the same to you. Mm -hmm. All conversations have three elements to them. There's the topic that you're talking about. There's the lens that you're looking through that topic with, which allows you to see or not see certain things. And when I get to the second level, all I have to do is say CNN and Fox. Uh People immediately understand what 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 I'm talking about. And I say, they're looking at the same phenomena out there, but the way their lenses are uh, receiving what's out there means that when you listen to them talk about what's out there, you wonder if they live on the same planet. Right. So there's something going on between the topic and the perceptions that people have, and that's driven by the lenses. But underneath the lenses is a whole other layer, and that is the way this conversation impacts my identity. It's identity-driven. Mm-hmm. And 
We think in most conversations, we're talking about the topic. The topic is actually the frosting on the cake. What's really going on are the dynamics between the lenses that the person has, and those will be different lenses than you have, and the way their identity is being defined or impacted by the conversation that, that you have. I illustrate it this way. I, I joke that I have the ability to multitask. I've been given the gift of multitasking. I was hoping you were going to tell this story, Dr. Bach. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I have the gift of multitasking, right? Which I think is a great gift, but my wife doesn't. So when I'm sitting at the computer with a computer screen, I can concentrate on what's in front of me. She walks in the room and tells me something. And then she says to me, you're not listening to me because I'm multitasking, right? Okay. I'm trying to be efficient with my use of time to make sure I can continue to do what I'm doing while I'm interacting interacting with her. And when moment she says to me, you're not listening to me, I call it the hour of decision. Because what I've got to do is I've either, I can I can bout back to her almost word for word what she said to me, which proves that I am listening to her. All right. <laughs> but if I do that, my history in 47 years of marriages, that does not go well. Okay. <laughs> so the other alternative is to shut down the multitask gift. And pay attention, because here's what's really going on. What's really going on at the identity level is a clash. She's accused me of not being a good husband. That's how it's impacted my identity. And she is saying, I'm not important enough to you for you to give me your undivided attention. Mm -hmm. So the topic is not whatever she's sharing with me, okay? The topic is how we're relating to one another. And that's at the identity level. Mm -hmm. And all conversations have, and this is a technical term that I use, are triphonic. There are three channels operating at once, and the bottom two unseen channels are actually more important than what's on the surface that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And if you understand that about the core dynamics of your conversations, you put yourself in a better position to be a good conversationalist and to actually do a better job of listening, attempting to hear where the other person is coming from, and what you're listening for are values that you can share that they may turn in one direction, but that you might turn in another direction to become the basis for a conversation. Well, I'm guessing that every husband out there who just heard that story, um, who's been married longer than, say, a month, has, has, uh, is getting to figure this one out, that they resemble. It might even work on dating. Who knows? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, as a follow-up and to segue to the next uh, question I wanted to ask you, so how do we best respond? In that chapter, you talk about verbal bullying that can go both ways so what do we do when the person on the other side starts resorting, and this happens all the time, especially on that you know, CNN and, and Fox News example you give, how do we as Christians, uh, people who love Jesus and want to engage in good conversations, how do we respond when we're called hateful bigots and transphobes? Uh, I would say ignore it. Jesus said the world would push back. We shouldn't be surprised when we get a pushback from the world. It's, it comes with the territory. But you want to try and ignore it. You want to. One of the ways that we break down conversations, one of the categories that I say that is what I call demonization. I call it exorcism. And the point here is it, it's a conversation quasher by label. Okay, so you label someone. And the whole point of the label is to try and shut the topic down. I'm going to label you. I'm going to bury you with the label, you know, play taps over you and put your ideas into the grave and justify why I am where I am, okay? That is, that is a conversation killer. 
We all do it. Every political ad that I'm aware of, almost without exception, operates by demonization. So it works like this, and it's an equal opportunity employer. Both the left and the right do it, okay? So here's the exorcism. C, conservative. M, Marxist. F, fundamentalist. S, socialist, okay? We label, and we use the label with something bad. We bury you, and we say, I don't need to get into substance because I've just told you who you are. So it's a conversation killer. So the Christian response to that is to recognize that's what it is and that's what's being attempted and to ignore it and stay on the topic. And the other Christian response is to not resort in kind. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. I'll fight my label. I'll fight your label with my label and we'll have a death. You know, we'll, we'll be gunmen at the OK Corral and see who shoots first. That's another conversation killer. I fully expect when I walk into the public square with some of the things that I believe that people will push back. I will submit in the back of my mind, you don't understand me and you don't know me and you don't understand why I'm saying what I'm saying. Well, I think twice you have appeared before one of our specialty sections in a webinar. They invited you after they heard you on our CMDA Matters podcast a group uh, that we call the Christian Academic Physicians and Scientists. And they often are keeping their identity as part of this group under wraps because of the places where they're working in research at big institutions that I sometimes call in medicine the synagogues of the ideologues. So what I, the feedback that I got from them is that you told them, wow, you guys are facing some challenges that are, like I said earlier, the tip of the spear, that are extremely difficult. Just unpack that for us. What do you experience when you talk with these uh, professors at uh, medical schools? Well, of course, the challenge is, is figuring out when and how to walk into these spaces, which requires a lot of wisdom. And that not only wisdom to decide when, but especially wisdom as to how. And again, I think in any conversation, what you're trying to do is you're trying to surface the nature of where you might be able to get to some level of agreement and where your disagreements really lie and why. For me, conversations are about the whys and wherefores that people bring to the positions that they have and trying to sort that out. And usually, because we live in a fallen, dysfunctional world, we have values that collide, okay? Mm-hmm. They aren't aligned. It's dysfunctional. Dysfunction means you're not aligned. And so when it's functional, it runs smoothly. You know, when you get water in the gasoline, the car has a problem. So they're clashing. And what you're trying to do is to say, is there a way to calibrate the sets of concerns that each of us have in given areas? Now, the problem with some of the topics that doctors deal with is they belong in a category that is the hardest to adjudicate in conversation. So I'll say most public square issues are one of three types. The first is a genuine worldview class. They're starting from such different places, it's hard to get any kind of alignment at all. The discussion on abortion about which involves when life begins, okay, is also clashing with ideas of individual liberty. That's where the clash is. But the idea of debating when life begins, because the Christian has one starting point and many non-Christians perhaps have another starting point, although interestingly enough, that doesn't align scientifically. That's a whole other element to the conversation, Mm -hmm. produces that tension. Okay, those are the hardest 
to adjudicate because the starting points are so radically different in terms of what's being prioritized and the level of prioritization that's being given to the things that are running into each other. Mm. The second category is what I call same goal, different route. Okay. That's racial reconciliation. If I walk out on the street and ask people, should the races be reconciled? You would get numbers so high, politicians would say, man, I love that approval rating. But if you ask the next question, how do we get there? And how, are we, how is that going to work? You're going to get very different answers and you're going to get the debate at la- that level. But at least you know you're trying to get to the same goal. Right. Okay. So that's a different kind of conversation. And then the third kind of conversation, which is where most of our political debates lie, is you have values that are colliding. And each party has picked the value and said, that's where we're staking our flag. And then you work to minimize or reduce the validity of the competing value so that you can make your case clear. We turn it into a binary. Mm -hmm. And we never have the conversation that we need to have, which is, how do we balance these things that are colliding? Okay. Uh So what you're trying to do in your conversation, we're trying to advance it. And this can even work in some cases, even in worldview classes where I say, you live in a world in which you think God doesn't exist, but you're also my neighbor. And I live in a world where I think God exists. My role in that space is to just have you contemplate the possibility that God may exist and what that means. But in the meantime, we've got to figure out a way to get along. Mm -hmm. And so we do that. And then I remember theologically that everyone is accountable to God, whether they recognize it or not. He's the one who fixes this, not me. In that environment, that gives me space to have those kinds of conversations where those clashes are happening. And I want to recognize the concerns that some people bring to the conversation about the value of my body and choices is something that I need to respect. But you also need to respect the fact that you're carrying a second body within you. So what does that mean? Mm. You know, you want to frame the question in a way that what I call putting a rock in someone's shoe. You, where, you know, you got a rock in someone, when you got a rock in your shoe, you know it's there. That mm-hmm. question keeps, yeah, that Na- rock is Nagging at you. Yeah, exactly right. And, and so you want a question that keeps someone else's wheels turning and lingers with them, that kind of thing, because that can become a basis for further conversation. So that those are the dimensions of what's going on. And so I try to share all that with, with them and say, Look, there aren't any clean answers here. This is not an easy space. It will be a challenge. But if you can communicate a respect for the person and what they're thinking in the midst of your conversation, by respect doesn't mean necessarily agreement, just an effort to understand, then you hopefully can get the same thing back. Well, you're going to be with us, God willing, and we are so grateful that you've agreed to come and be our Bible teacher at the National Convention. Just give us a very sneak tease about what you're going to be sharing with us at the National Convention in April. I think what we've decided is is that I'm going to take you through in three messages, which is two chapters of pop, if you want to think of it that way, the book of Ephesians. It's six chapters. I've got three cracks at it in an hour, which uh, how do I want to to say this? So that's two chapters of the meeting. uh, That's probably, what, 40 or 50 verses. That gives me about 90 seconds a verse. Uh, So so we'll be moving. But, But the goal is, that book is important because it establishes the Christian's identity in the world. And it has a lot to say about the kind of, of enablement that God gives to Christians spiritually, 
and how to draw on that, how to appreciate that enablement, what it is first, and then how to draw on that enablement and why that enablement actually equips us to live differently in a challenging world. Mm-hmm. That's where we're going in a, in a kind of Reader's Digest summary. Well, as we bring this interview to a close, we've talked about this on several occasions, uh, Dr. Barrows and myself with you and Bill Hendricks, and in terms of our relationship together, partnership, and you've explained to me, but I'd like you to explain for our listeners what you hope for for your theology students there at DTS and grads and others within the church, what you hope in terms of cultural engagement to gain for them in this partnership together with CMDA. Our commitment is part of what we call our faith and work dimension out of the center, which is that that we want to train pastors who are sensitive to the variety of vocations that they're preaching into when they preach on a Sunday and when they're pastoring. And so the demands on a are not the same as the demands on a lawyer, not the same as the demands on an accountant, et cetera. So we really urge our students to get to know people, what they're doing from nine to five, Monday through Friday. And our, our premise is, if we're not ministering to people in the prime part of their productive day, in terms of where they're spending their time, energy, and what tends to consume them from day to day outside their families, then we are engaged in a partial discipleship, and that partial discipleship doesn't lead to a holistic Christian. And so our our desire is to create a certain mentality among our pastors about how people are functioning. And so this alliance, this network for us is important because it's one of the examples of getting specific in specific areas where people are coming from with the challenges that they face and asking, how can I, as a pastor theologian, come alongside the doctor? And the doctor can ask his theological questions of us, and we can give pastoral care on the other, and we can learn of the challenges that they face on a daily basis so we can better speak to them and minister to them as a result. That's the, that's the goal of where we're at. Any final encouragement to the listeners about uh, coming out to hear you or getting your book or just anything about DTS? I just want to express my deep appreciation for doctors and for the medical care and the medical community, particularly in these last handful of years in which the demands on them have been immense. Uh, not just not just the medical demands, but the personal energy required to be kind of a first responder to everything that, that was and is COVID. And the appreciation for the way in which uh, the doctors that I come across really make an effort not just to care medically for people, but to care for people. Sometimes that's not appreciated, and it may not be appreciated by the patient who want, you know who's in in pain and wants you to stop it. And may not you may not always be able to do that that kind of thing, but it really is an expression of appreciation for what the medical profession means to so many people and oftentimes perhaps taken for granted. Dr. Bach, thank you so much for your time today and for all that you've taught me and uh, that word nuance, though my wife doesn't appreciate it as much, uh, maybe because I use it too much. <laughs> no, you can love her fully. Don't love her with nuance. <laughs> okay. And and stop what I'm doing on the computer and pay total attention. Uh, that exactly I love, that, right. What do you call it? The com- the com- what kind of decision is it that you make? The hour of decision. The hour of decision. All right. Every yeah. every husband out there is nodding their heads right now, wherever they are. God bless you, Dr. Yeah. Bach, and we'll see you in April. All right. Looking forward to it.
Well, during our discussion, you heard me talking with Daryl about the webinar that he helped to moderate for us just a few weeks ago. The webinar was co-hosted by CMDA and the Hendricks Center at DTS. It focused on critical conversations on pregnancy after Roe. If you weren't able to participate live, well, I have good news for you because we recorded it for you. And it's already available for you to watch in the CMDA Learning Center. In the webinar, Dr. Bach moderated a discussion with Dr. Sandy Christensen, who's a board-certified OBGYN, as well as the National Medical Director for CareNet, and Roland Warren, who's the President and CEO of CareNet. Their conversation examined the pastoral and medical support that is needed by women who have complicated pregnancies in this post-Roe world. And they considered the theological, medical, legal, and pastoral perspectives that are required to serve pregnant patients well. Plus, CMDA members can re-watch the webinar for free in our Learning Center, allowing you to earn continuing education credits. If you'd like to access the Learning Center, just visit cmda.org learning. By the way, our CMDA team is already working with the team at Dallas Theological for an in-person conference that we will be hosting in August this year. We will be focusing on the theme, Critical Conversations on Mental Health. So just mark your calendars for August 4th and 5th, and that conference will be in Dallas, Texas. More details will be coming later, but I'll just suggest keeping an eye on cmda.org events for our latest events and conferences offered by CMDA. If you'd like to hear more from Dr. Bach on the topic of cultural engagement, you can find his book, Cultural Intelligence, Living for God in a Diverse, Pluralistic World, in our CMDA bookstore. In his book, Daryl builds a theology of cultural engagement, and he equips us as readers to relate well to our culture with an eye on the example set by Paul in the New Testament. This timely book highlights the need to center our beliefs and practices around God's holy word. While we interact well with a culture that is increasingly detached from biblical truth. Another book that we have in the bookstore that could serve as an excellent companion to Dr. Bach's book is John F. Kilner's book entitled, Why the Church Needs Bioethics, A Guide to Wise Engagement with Life's Challenges. This particular book equips students, church and lay leaders, and people in health-related fields with the knowledge to make prudent and informed bioethical decisions, as well as to help foster a world where human beings are shown respect as people created in the image of our God. You can order your copy of both of these valuable books online by going to cmda.org bookstore. Well, speaking of the church and bioethics, I'd like to encourage you to check out CMDA's Bridging the Gap small group study specifically designed for the church. And here's some more information for you. As Christians, we are called to speak truth into ethical issues and courageously stand up for what's morally right according to our beliefs. But in order to engage others in these discussions with grace and kindness, first we need to arm ourselves with knowledge and understanding of each of these topics. Bridging the Gap, where medical science and church meet, is a small group study developed by expert healthcare professionals. The curriculum is designed to ask difficult, 
thought-provoking questions as we seek the truth found in God's Word about the ethical issues facing Christians today. Topics include addictions, beginning of life, end of life, gender identity, right of conscience, and sexuality. For more information and to download this free curriculum, visit cmda.org slash bridging the gap. This conversation with Daryl, as well as the conversation I had last week with Ryan Bomberger, is making me more and more excited for this year's CMDA National Convention. If you haven't registered yet, here's Jamie again for more details. The 2023 CMDA National Convention will be here before you know it. Have you reserved your spot yet? We're joining together in the Cincinnati, Ohio area on April 27th through the 30th because we know the value of fellowshipping and worshiping with other Christians in healthcare. This is the place to find resilience in your life, your faith, and your practice. Our speakers at this premier event for healthcare professionals include Professor Robert George from Princeton University, Dr. Kristen Collier from the University of Michigan, President Emeritus of World Vision, Rich Stearns, and many more. We sold out last year, so don't wait to register. To reserve your spot at this year's convention, visit natcon.cmda.org. In the interview, you heard me mention the Christian Academic Physicians and Scientists Specialty Section, which we call CAPS. This group is an increasingly interdependent community of Christian academic physicians and scientists from across the country who are committed to transforming their academic environments through faith, fellowship, and scholarship. Dr. Bach shared in one of their monthly webinars uh, hosted by CAPS and told me afterward that he was actually quite challenged by the level of adversity and cultural engagement that these Christ followers face every day in living for Christ in their workplace. If this group sounds like people that you would like to meet or learn from or be encouraged by, just go to cmda.org slash CAPS, C-A-P-S. Among all of our various ministries, CMDA's specialty sections give you the unique opportunity to equip, network, and fellowship with colleagues in your specific healthcare specialty. Organized by CMDA members, the sections include the Addiction Medicine Section, the Coalition of Christian Nurse Practitioners, the Psychiatry Section, and more. You can find the full list of sections at cmda.org slash specialty sections. And if you don't see a section for your specialty, new sections are currently under development with CMDA's campus and community ministries. Contact CCM at cmda.org for more information about getting involved or starting a section. In next week's episode, I'll be joined by Christian psychiatrist and author, Dr. Kurt Thompson, to discuss his latest book, which is called The Soul of Desire. It's the third book in a trilogy of works that he's produced which explore how neuroscience relates to the ways we experience relationships in our lives. 
and how we can process our desire for spiritual connection with God and each other and to live more fully integrated and connected lives. Don't forget, if you want to suggest a future guest for the podcast, you can just email us at cmdamatters at cmda.org today. And if you like the podcast, be sure to give us a five-star rating and share us on your favorite social media platform. This week, I just wanted to give a short shout out to Rusty, our sound engineer, as well as Mandy, our producer, who helped me every single week put this program together. So grateful for this team. Before I close, I just want to leave you with these words from a CMDA student member who's from Wisconsin. They said, quote, being a part of CMDA has allowed me to see the value of living in community with other believers. Through our Bible studies and intentional conversations about faith, it has drawn me closer to God's word and witnessing the power of prayer. Those intentional conversations about faith and the listening that goes along with it are so important, friends, as we focus on engaging with the culture around us on a daily basis. It's exactly what Daryl and I were discussing in today's interview. How are you being intentional in your conversations about faith this week? Maybe those conversations are at home or with a neighbor. Maybe they're at work. Maybe it's on campus with your fellow students. Friends, let's commit to look closely for opportunities and be intentional in these conversations about faith this week. And when we do so, we will be bringing the hope and healing of Christ to our world. That's what matters to CMDA, and CMDA matters more than ever, friends. We'll see you next week, God willing. This podcast has been a production of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are not necessarily endorsed by the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. CMDA is a nonpartisan organization that does not endorse political parties or candidates for public office. The views expressed on this podcast reflect judgments regarding principles and values held by CMDA and its members and are not intended to imply endorsement of any political party or candidate.